welcome back to our study of the book of Jeremiah. Uh, we took a week off uh, for our Easter celebration, but now we're back into it. We're in Jeremiah chapter 29. Um, but let me uh, first open our time together with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Gracious God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you uh, for uh, your being a God uh, who communicates to us. Um, uh, if you didn't uh, uh, speak, uh, we would not be able to know or find you, but you have called to us. Uh, you've spoken clearly uh, through the works of creation, all the things that you have made, um, even uh, as we uh, experience a rainy morning, we think of the fact that when we see your rainbow in the clouds, it's a sign of your covenant promise and love uh, for your people. But even more so, you have spoken to us uh, directly by your word, uh, your, through your servants, the prophets. And we thank you for the prophet Jeremiah, how he, um, though uh, he suffered uh, often for it, that he faithfully uh, proclaimed your word uh, and proclaimed it to an audience uh, that was so willing uh, or unwilling to listen, an audience that uh, often thought him uh, mad or worthy of death. Lord, uh, help us um, take courage uh, from his uh, faithfulness that we too would uh, truly speak your word uh, to those around us, uh, that we would not uh, falter in heart, um, but that we would trust in you uh, in the strength that comes from you and you alone. Lord, we pray that uh, you would uh, give us ears to hear this morning as we uh, speak and uh, of this word together. Uh, may your Holy Spirit that spoke through the prophet uh, Jeremiah uh, speak to us this morning. Uh, most of all, uh, show us yourself. Show us our need for you. Uh, show us our need for repentance, uh, to turn toward you, and that in you, life and salvation alone is to be found. Teach us this morning, we pray, by the power of our Holy Savior, Jesus Christ's name, uh, through your Spirit. Amen. All right, so if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 29, and uh, while you're turning there, let me briefly um, recap uh, what we did last time. Last time we actually did two chapters um, uh, that were uh, um, yoked together. I know, like I had to throw it together. In, like that's, I had one yoke joke last time, one joke, yoke joke uh, this time. But for the past several chapters, um, Jeremiah has been detailing uh, the, uh, particularly the opposition that his prophecies uh, receive uh, from the religious leaders in Judah and with chapter 28 and 29 and then into chapter 30 as we'll see, see today, uh, how he is countering the message of all these false prophets um, that uh, the the uh, phrase that kept coming up in um, in in chapters uh, 27 and 28, uh, these people, it is a lie that they are prophesying to you. Um, so in chapter 27 and 28, the thing, or one of the things linking them together is the fact that Jeremiah um, did another one of his symbolic actions, uh, this time making a wooden yoke and wearing it around. The occasion for this was the appearance of several surrounding nations, their uh, envoys coming to Jerusalem, uh, and kind of the, the implication is they might be trying to plot together uh, a rebellion against Nebuchadnezzar. And, and so then Jeremiah shows up wearing a wooden yoke uh, around, um, indicating that uh, these foreign nations in Judah must understand that they have to submit to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, as the God-imposed ruler of the nations. It is God who has placed the yoke of Babylon upon Judah, so they must serve Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, and Jeremiah's message, he keeps saying it over and over again, uh, Judah's only hope is to submit to the Babylonians in obedience to the will of God, not submit to them um, pragmatically, but because it's God who's raised them up and put them over them 
for a time. And, and that has been, again, another consistent part of Jeremiah's message. Submit to them, but it, it will be for a defined period. Uh, and as we'll see today, he'll define that period once again as a period of 70 years. Now, in the face of Jeremiah's repeated message to submit to the Babylonians, there are these other prophets, uh, false prophets, who are proclaiming in God's name the complete opposite, <laughs> Uh, that uh, Nebuchadnezzar's reign would be short, uh, that in two years God was going to restore all those exiles um, that had been taken away and bring it back. And, and again, Jeremiah keeps saying it's a lie that they are prophesying to you. By telling the people what they wanted to hear rather than presenting the true word of God, these prophets were actually causing Judah's situation to grow worse and increasing the tribulations that the nation would suffer. Um, and last time we saw uh, a specific prophet, one of these false prophets named Hananiah, uh, who taught just the opposite of what Jeremiah taught, and, and indeed went, and, and just as Jeremiah was symbolically wearing the yoke, Hananiah went and took the yoke off his shoulders and broke it. Um, and in response, God said, uh, I'm going to put a yoke of iron uh, on you. Uh, and then we also saw that um, uh, Jeremiah prophesied Hananiah's Im imminent death uh, within the year, and in that same year, the prophet Hananiah died, and that's how chapter 28 ended. So today we'll see this message of the false prophets uh, has made its way all the way to Babylon. Um, that those initial exiles who were taken by Nebuchadnezzar in 597, dragged off into captivity to Babylon, uh, they've heard the, this message that their captivity was to be short uh, and that God was going to quickly bring them and all the stuff uh, that was taken from the temple um, back. Uh, so Jeremiah writes a letter to them, and, and probably, like as you'll see, uh, a series of letters because um, you, you get some uh, letter and response to letter uh, toward the end of the chapter. Um, but we get this correspondence between Jeremiah and the exiles in um, Babylon. And Jeremiah writes to them, telling them to settle down <laughs> into life in exile because it would be 70 years before they would return. Um, once again, that phrase uh, shows up that we've seen in chapter 27 and chapter 28. Uh, he, God tells his people, do not believe the lie they are prophesying to you in my name. Um, we'll see as we talk about it this morning, Jeremiah's letter in chapter 29 is a bit provocative. Um, it's contrary to what the people want to hear, uh, but it's what God wants them to hear. And uh, in its um, a, a letter, as we'll see, kind of has that bigger perspective of, of God doing a work that people in the moment can't see, but God is doing something greater um, uh, so that uh, you know, they need to understand their part of his plan uh, to bless not just them, but to bless the nations around them. So with that, uh, as a word of introduction, uh, let me read for us now um, Jeremiah chapter 29. I'll read the entirety of the chapter. Hear now the word of the Lord. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisah, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. 
multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its, in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Because you have said the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in this city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, Behold, I am sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten. I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence, and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them. Because they did not pay attention to my words, declares the Lord, that I persistently sent to you by my servants, the prophets, but you would not listen, declares the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, all you exiles whom I sent away from Jerusalem to Babylon. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, concerning Ahab, the son of Koliah, and Zedekiah, the son of Messiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Behold, I will deliver them into the hand of the king of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and he will strike them down before your eyes. Because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles from Judah and Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire, because they have done an outrageous thing in Israel. They have committed adultery with their neighbor's wives, and they've spoken in my name lying words that I did not command them. I am the one who knows. I am witness declares the Lord. To Shemaiah of Nehalem, you shall say, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, you have sent letters in your name to all the people who are in Jerusalem, to Zephaniah, the son of Maaseiah, the priest, and all the priests, saying, the Lord has made you priest instead of Jehoiada, the priest, to have charge in the house of the Lord over every madman who prophesies to put him in the stocks and neck irons. Now why have you not rebuked Jeremiah of Anathoth, who is prophesying to you? For he has sent to us in Babylon, saying, Your exile will be long. Build houses and live in them, and plant gardens and eat their produce. Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. Then the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah. Send to all the exiles, saying, Thus says the Lord concerning Shemaiah of, of Nehalam, Because Shemaiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him, and has made you trust in a lie, therefore thus says the Lord, Behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Nehalam and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among this people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord. For he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we speak of it together this morning. So here we have, we have uh, Judeans in Jerusalem and Judeans in, uh, in exile in Babylon. And Jeremiah writes to, to these exiles in Babylon. So what is his message to those people? 
those exiles um, who've been taken off into captivity in Babylon? Um, and why would his message be so provocative? Yeah, Mike. Yeah, and absolutely, I'm glad you used the word encouragement there. Like, because that's what this letter is intended to be. Uh, I mean, think kind of like psychologically. You're among those people dragged off into captivity. Uh, you're separate from the temple. You're separate from the, separated from the sacrificial system. You could sit there in Babylon thinking, God has, has left us. You know, God has deserted us. He sent us off to Babylon. He's forgotten about us, and they can, can be there in this situation of, of desolation, of unbelief, and, and God sends this message of encouragement to them. And, and notice all the, the, the language that, that you pointed out, Mike, is, is all about, as you say, to live, plant, build, multiply. You know, these are the things, like, these are things God tells people in Genesis, <laughs> it's what he tells them when they go into the promised land. Um, this, this is language that God often, uh, instructions that God often gives to his people. Um, and it's indicative of his continuing fulfillment of his promise, and especially of his promise to Abraham, to be fruitful and multiply. I'll make you as numerous uh, as the sky, stars in the sky and the sands on the seashore. Um, God hasn't forgotten you. Multiply, be part of that uh, continued kingdom of God. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, to, to cooperate with the Babylonians, seek their welfare. Um, and uh, yeah, you could see how in this context it, it seems like, okay, that's a betrayal that's changing sides. Um, but it's really the, a similar kind of instruction that we're given in the, in the New Testament. Uh, hold on, let me get back so I can actually not try to remember something but just read it. Um, so the advice is very similar to what the Apostle Paul gives in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 4. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So if you think about all right, how they live, how they conduct themselves in Babylon, um, even if it seems like cooperation with the oppressor, is really an opportunity to present the truth of the living God, who's not just the God of this remote land uh, on the uh, eastern side of the Mediterranean, but is the God of all the world. And if you think, uh, like, this is Daniel. This is the story of Daniel, is how they're to live. Daniel serves his entire life, as we read in that book, in service, faithful service, to the king of Nebuchadnezzar. Now, there are things Nebuchadnezzar tells him to do that he won't do. Why won't he do them? Because they go against the law of his God. And by his faithful living, according to the law of God, he presents the truth to that pagan king. So as you think about the instructions that Jeremiah is giving them here, yeah, it's pragmatic. Like, you know, it's go along to get along. <laughs> if Babylon's succeeding, you know, that's good for you while you're living there. So there's a pragmatic aspect to it. Don't get me wrong. Like, you know, he's like, you're going to be there a long time. So you should want good things for where you, you are to live. 
but it's, it's also theological. Like, through this people, like, again, it's the promised Abraham. Through you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And by their being dispersed during this exile, it's their opportunity to testify to the truth of the one, the living God, is not just the God of, of again, of, of Israel, but is the God of the world. And he's the one who, you know, again, the emphasis Jeremiah gives us here in this letter, thus says the Lord, the God of, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent in exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He's the one who sent them there. It's not a coincidence there. It's not an accident there. there. Uh, it's his purpose and plan. And he's calling them to, to live and to serve where they are at that moment uh, and trust their future to God. That, that the God who is the God of their fathers and the God of these future promises will continue to be faithful to them, even though they might be in a situation where they're feeling cut off, when they're feeling forgotten, when they're feeling like life is, life is happening in Jerusalem. There's nothing to live for here. And he's saying, no, live, plant, build, multiply. Uh, live life where you are. Um, and don't, you know, don't be discouraged by the fact you're not in Jerusalem. In fact, it's actually a good thing you're not in Jerusalem because it's going to get smacked down. Uh, it's going to experience, you know, all this slaughter that he tells them about in the letter. Yeah, Dave. I mean, I, I wouldn't say this is the end of it, <laughs> but right. But but this has been the consistent message, like throughout Israel's history. Like you know, the whole Exodus. It's not just to deliver his people from Egypt. It's to show the Egyptians who's really God. Is it the the Nile God? Nope. <laughs> is it uh, Osiris? Nope. <laughs> Uh, and he takes down one Egyptian deity after another. There's one God. Um, and everywhere uh, God sends his people, that's the, the message that goes with them. Like they drag, the Philistines drag the ark in front of, uh, into the temple of Dagon in front of the statue of their deity, and they come in the next morning, and it, <laughs> it's bowing before the ark. They set it back up. The next day, its hands and its head are cut off. Um, you know, everywhere his people go, uh, God is declaring, I am not just the God of, of one people or one place. I'm the God of all the earth. And he is working his plan. And again, it's easy. Like, I, I can totally uh, understand and sympathize with the, you know, what the exiles are going. Like, when you're in a bad situation, it's easy to become despondent. It's easy to forget. Um, it's easy to get caught up in the moment. And, and notice here, um, God, God's message to them is, um, you know, that I have a plan for you. Like, I, I know the plans I have for you. Like, I'm doing something. Um, and the temptation is to pursue, like, some kind of uh, shortcut. Um, and, and again, it's, it's hard to know like what exactly prompts the letter, but as I talked about um, last, or last time when we were in chapter 27, uh, we know right around this time there is a plot against Nebuchadnezzar, an internal plot within Babylon. Um, and maybe uh, this is what is happening to um, to, to uh, when we get down to verses uh, 21 uh, through 23, uh, Ahab and Zedekiah, um, who are going to get burned <laughs> by Nebuchadnezzar, um, 
they're committing sins against God, but, but Nebuchadnezzar probably wouldn't burn them for that. He, he would burn them, however, if they were plotting rebellion against him. Um, he, he would definitely throw them into a fiery furnace uh, for that uh, and, and have them consumed by the fire. So here they are. They're in Babylon. There's a plot against, uh, we know from the Babylonian Chronicles, there's a plot against Nebuchadnezzar at this moment. And maybe some of these Jewish exiles have gotten caught up in this plot. And, and he's counseling, uh, encouraging them. God's, God's not has not forgotten you, but it's also patience. Um, and again, like, it, it takes patience to plant. <laughs> I'm a horrible gardener. I did not get that gene from my mother. Um, she could grow anything, <laughs> and we would not have been fed as children if she could not. <laughs> um, I, I do not have that skill, but it takes patience, which is probably why I don't have that skill. I don't have patience. Uh, I like to fix things. I'm more mechanical. Like I want to see immediate results to 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 my actions, either for good or bad. It works. It'll never work again. <laughs> Seem to be the two options when I work on something. Um, but, but like, that's my impatience. Like, and he's, be patient. Trust. Endure. I haven't forgotten you. I remember my promises to you. I intend to, to do things to bless you. They can be sitting there thinking that they're in exile as a curse. And in reality, it's the people back in Jerusalem who are the vile figs and have worse destruction awaiting for awaiting them, like with that reference back to chapter 24. Yeah, Jay? It takes some trust. Um, it takes some trust in God, if, if not in Jeremiah. And notice it's the, like, back in chapter 24, just to, to remind you, um, if you go back to, to chapter 24, we had that weird, um, you know, prophetic action with the good figs and the bad figs. And we talked about, in, that, in the um, context of that story, the people back in Jerusalem are assuming, we're still here. We're the good figs, <laughs> and the ones who got dragged off, they must be bad. And and God was like disrupts them and no, like no, you're 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 horrible figs, good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled on. Um, and it's you who are going to face, you know, this terrible destruction by the sword, by pestilence. Um, you're facing destruction. And it, the irony is that's what the people in exile are, are believing the same things. Well, they must be the blessed ones and we must be the cursed ones. And, and God, once again, is saying, in a sense, don't live by sight. <laughs> um, don't live by appearances. You can't trust uh, just like, oh, I see they're still there. They must be blessed. Uh, we got taken into captivity. We must be cursed. No, that, that's... You can't see the good that God has intended for you. Yes, you're being punished. Yes, you're, you're experiencing judgment. But they're going to experience worse judgments. They're going to experience worse punishments. You're actually in a position where already you can start to, um, to rebuild, uh, to replenish your family so that when, you're, when God brings you back and restores you, that, that you will be, you know, already, it's kind of like, again, using gardening metaphors, thinking of my mom, this would be the time of year she would have the little uh, cold frame going so things could actually start growing before you can really plant them because they're still, you know, can still get a freeze, so it's too early to actually stick it in the yard. Uh, but, um, you know, in anticipation, and that's kind of like anticipation of God planting them back in, his, back in their land, restoring them. He's telling them to live now. 
Like, don't be stuck in despondency. Uh, don't be stuck in distress. Don't be fooled by these lying prophets who are telling you that it's all going to be short and brief and there's an easy path to restoration. No, there's one path to restoration, and that's repentance <laughs> and trusting in the, in, in the God who will bring you back and who has promised to bring you back. Well, I mean, I think that passage in, um, in to Timothy, like, you know, pray for your your leaders, you know, live gentle, unoffending lives. Um, and it's through how you live. I mean, again, to go back to that, I think that final line uh, there, um, this is good and it's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Um, and when we get, like, stuck <laughs> um, in, in despondency, when we're so kind of focused on what's happening to us, we're, we're not able to look outside ourselves and to preach that. Like if we don't think God is, um, is, is intending good to us at this moment, it's very hard to turn to someone else you know, and say, God has good blessings, things for you if you trust in him. If you're not trusting in them, <laughs> how can you extend those blessings to the people around you? So I think that, uh, that, that letter to Paul, I think, helps us to understand the message that Jeremiah is giving to the exiles here. You know, live uh, in a life of faith, trusting in God, um, praying for the leaders you have over, over you, um, and trusting that God can bring a knowledge of the saving truth to the people around you. Um, that he is, again, not just the God of, um, of, of one people, but he's the God of all the nations. And that's, you know, we're, we're in that similar kind of time. We're waiting for that gospel to go to every tribe and every tongue and every nation of the earth. Um, and that's the moment we're in. And we participate in that moment by how we live. Um, in anticipation of what God uh, has promised and purposed to do. Yeah, Jay? No, because we, we saw, like, again, if we go back to chapter 26, um, we saw uh, another prophet, Uriah, the son of Shemaiah from Kiriath-Jerim. He had prophesied against this city and against this land in words like those of Jeremiah, um, and he was put to death. Uh, we'll be introduced, we haven't really been introduced to Baruch yet, uh, but Baruch is, is basically going to be <laughs> Jeremiah's right-hand man. And he's going to start to go when, when, when Jeremiah increasingly gets banned and forgetting to go places, he sends Baruch. <laughs> and Baruch goes where Jeremiah is barred from going, and, and he can speak and talk in places. Um, but what, what it is, and, and to go back to this, how do we know who the false prophets are and who the true prophets are? It's like we had that test um, back in chapter 28. Uh, the, the prophet who prophesies peace, when the word of that prophet comes to pass, then it will be known that the Lord has truly sent the prophet. So, like, all right, these people are saying, in two years you're going to be back, you and all the stuff from the temple. It's going to be a short exile. Okay, let, let's see. <laughs> uh, let's, 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 okay, they, they're saying peace. Let's see if it's going to come to pass. Um, and it doesn't. So, you know, and Jeremiah is saying now, like, that's not what God has said. Like, God has consistently said over and over again, 70 years, 70 years, 70 years. And so for someone to say something, anything else, it's a lie. So you test the word of God with the other things against what God has already said through the other prophets. And is it 
the message that they're saying is from God, is that in alignment uh, with what God has said elsewhere and is saying through other prophets at the moment. Um, but to, to your point, um, I mean, uh, Jeremiah is in the minority. I don't, he, I don't think he's alone at this moment, um, but he is in a prophetic minority. Uh, and that's what he's trying to, um, he's trying to counter um, through his, his work. So uh, let's uh, shift a little. So it, it's a message of encouragement to them, um, but it also, I, I think, um, you know, gives us an understanding of who God is and how God relates to his covenant people and his expectations of how they are to relate to him. Um, so what do we learn about God in his relationship with his covenant people um, in this letter of Jeremiah? Yeah, Jay. He makes promises and then fulfills them. Uh, I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Um, you know, that welfare there is peace, like real peace, like not a, um, an ease of circumstances, but a lasting um, peace and future and, a, and hope. Like, so, yeah, so he's saying, your hope lies in me because I'm the one who knows the plans I have for you. I'm the one who can execute those plans for you. I've promised to do so, so trust in me. Like, it's a call to, to faith. It's a call to, to exercise faith um, in their God and in what he's promised not to be distracted by their current uh, woes, um, but to trust in the promises of God. It's in God's character uh, and in God's promises that their deliverance from this exile uh, will take place. It's through who God is, not um, through them being able to politic their way out of it. Yeah, it's a lot like that wilderness wandering that we're looking at in uh, you know Deuteronomy. Like it's it's not the the generation um, wandering in the wilderness; it's their kids. It's all those um, you know twenty years and younger are the ones that uh, are are going to get to enter into this land of promise. Um, but those people still have to wander in the wilderness for. 40 years until that generation's died off. Um, and it's like, as we think about, as like you can, as you said, like it's twofold. It's one like that kind of like, and you see this with Moses and Deuteronomy. What do you mean I don't get to go in? <laughs> I want to go in. Uh, no, you don't get to go in. Um, but all these other people do. Um, and so it's, and I think when you adopt um, God's perspective on things. Like it frees you from worrying about what's going to happen to you as an individual. Um, and it frees you to hope that, you know, God is going to do uh, great things through his people being faithfully serve him, even if they don't get to see the end. Like, but they get to faith in faith trust in him, teach that faith to their children, teach them to, to bind it on their foreheads, uh, you know, instruct their children, 
and, and God is working uh, his plan through them, through their children, through their children's children um, to, to demonstrate the truth of his promises. That's true. Yeah, like, and there is like, um, there is a faithful Christian center that's being, or a uh, faithful center of, of Yahweh worship, uh, to be contextually accurate, that's being established here in Babylon. And like, you see it through, like, again, that's the great thing about the message of Daniel. Um, you see, uh, God is doing great things through His people, even while they're. Uh, there in, in Babylon, and God uh, is going to bring uh, those people back and, and establish them. But uh, and God, Jeremiah is giving his prophetic words to God followers in a pagan land, and he has to because again, they're receiving. <laughs> trying to to use a word that doesn't involve profanity, <laughs> um, you know, they're what they're getting from these other prophets is worthless. Like, it, it, it's, it's doing them harm. Because imagine, like, to, if we go back to, like, as Jay, you know, when, when we were talking about, well, wait two years. Well, do you sit around doing nothing? You live in your tent, as Mike said earlier, for another two years to see in hopes that oh, it's going to be a short stay? Or are you going to be someone who go ahead, okay, we've been told to build and plant, like, you know, if one person does it and everybody else <laughs> two years later, like, oh, we should have done what that guy did. Um, you know, the longer they trust in these falsehoods, the, the less they're able to live now. Like, by tr trusting in these false promises, they're not being allowed to live and prosper. They're kind of stuck in this place and trusting in a lie. You know, they're putting, still putting their hope um, in what's happening back in Jerusalem. And, and God's saying, uh, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David, concerning all the people who dwell in the city, your kinsmen who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, behold, I'm sending on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like vile figs that are so rotten they cannot be eaten I will pursue them with sword, famine, and pestilence and will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth to be a curse, a terror, a hissing, and a reproach among all the nations where I have driven them because they did not pay attention to my words. So they're in Babylon looking back like longingly at Jerusalem <laughs> and Jeremiah's like, no, you don't want to be there. Be where you are. Be where God has placed you because destruction is going to fall on that place. They're still clinging to these like false hopes that because there's a son of David on the throne, because there's a temple in Jerusalem, because Jerusalem's God's city, that God would, would never allow judgment to fall on that place rather than seeing all those Deuteronomic promises like, or, or curses, that if you do this, this is what's going to happen to the city. If you do this, I'm going to drive you out. Uh, if you do this, I will destroy this place. Um, like all of this has been said. They want the benefits of God with none of the, the actual service of God. And notice the, that's the call here. You will, uh, then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I have sent you into exile. They have to repent. They have to exercise faith in God. It's not just going to happen. They have to exercise trust. And then by trusting in God, all these promises God has made are going to flow from them because God is being faithful to his covenant that he's initiated with them. And he's, he's initiated it. He's made the promises. 
they have to respond in faith and repentance. Yeah, Chris. And just as he's been faithful in bringing about the curses, so too he'll be faithful in bringing about the blessings. But they have to turn away their sin. He's not going to bring them back if they just keep doing the same stuff they were doing before they got dragged off. <laughs> they have to turn to him. They have to acknowledge, and part of that is acknowledging what we've done is wrong. And at this point, it seems like they're, they're still kind of trusting in like a quick fix. Oh, it's a temporary setback. Uh, it, it wasn't, uh, it, you know, it wasn't anything significant in the long term, and we can keep doing the same things we're doing now. Like, I mean, look at the behaviors of of uh, uh, Ahab and um, Zedekiah. They've committed adultery with their neighbors' wives. They've spoken in my name lying words that I did not command. Like, they're still doing the same junk <laughs> that they were doing before they got dragged off. They've got to. Repent and turn in faith. And just as God has been faithful in bringing those promised curses upon them, he's going to be brave, faithful in bringing those blessings back. And there's sort of this practical outworking, too, that you can see in his interactions with people now that, that they've been cast out of the promised land. Now that they're in exile, you can see how he's, he's encouraging them to do all the things that he encouraged them to do when they were in the promised land and how this Trust me. <laughs> trust me. Like trust that I'm good. And it like they like until they trust, like they can't get it. <laughs> uh, it requires their trust. It requires their re faith and repentance. Like two sides of the same coin. Like you can't separate the two. Like exercising faith means you're also repenting. Repenting means you're also trusting uh, in a God who um, who loves you. Um, and it, they are like to to your point, Chris. In a sense, they are like they—they're in a position where they probably see themselves as as cursed, but they're closer to the precipice of blessing than those people back in Jerusalem who haven't seen it yet, who don't believe it's going to happen, who don't believe uh, they have to do a, anything um, to to you know any faithful service to remain where they are. That they think they're in an inviolable place. And that's more dangerous than these people who've been taken into captivity because they're in a place to see, okay, just as God has been faithful in, in bringing these judgments upon us, we repent of those things and, and trust he'll bring us back. Yeah, Nick. You had your hand up, I know, a long time ago. I yapped too long, sorry. 
Yeah, it's a lot like Romans. The Romans uses that same language of freedom. We've been freed from sin, and we're freed to serve. Like, it's that idea. Like, we've been set free from our captivity. Um, we've been freed from something, and that freedom has allowed us to, to serve God the way he's called us to serve him. That is, I mean, I think that's a great way to, to think. Like, it is the consistent message that we see um, throughout scripture. And these false prophets, we can kind of see as they're, they're trying to like, you know, a shortcut <laughs> or a, a, a literally, we don't have to do anything. <laughs> um, you know, it's, you know, it's a status quo kind of, you know, uh, it doesn't require any faith and repentance on your part. Just, um, you know, the blessings will come, and that, that's, not, that's not the pattern God has established in Scripture. So once again, um, we get to see a little bit of um, God's response to, to false prophets, um, and, and some are named, just as we saw Hananiah named last time. Um, uh, yeah, what, um, as, as we end this chapter, um, what strikes you about what these false prophets are saying and, and what's happening to them? And in that, we can also, like, there's too much left to do. Sorry. <laughs> we can also fold in, how do the people respond to Jeremiah's letter? Maybe that's the more interesting question. Um, so he's given this letter um, going all the way back to what Mike said. It's, it's meant to be an encouragement. It's meant to 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 bring them back to God's promised blessings, how he's going to restore them. It's, again, this consistent message of trust in the Lord, turn from your sins. And, and how do they, these exiles respond? How they respond, Lee, I, I can see you want to say it. <laughs> Why aren't you going to lock this guy nut up? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I love the, 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 the label here. Like, they, they call him Matt. Yeah, they write to the temple, uh, you know, Pasher's replacement. <laughs> Remember Pasher a few uh, chapters back um, was the temple guard who locks uh, uh, Jeremiah up. Uh, Jeremiah says, you're, you're not going to be around long. He's not around anymore. <laughs> um, we've got a new guy who's in charge uh, of the temple precincts. And so they're writing him and saying, why, why are you letting this nut uh, write us stuff like this? Like, why don't you go lock him up? Um, and, and, that, and that provokes, like, again, like, as I said, it's, provokes Jeremiah's response to their response. <laughs> he has to write back and say, stop listening to these lies. It's not the truth. Um, stop listening to these false prophets. It is it's very hard to be a true prophet. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, uh, he... he he has the truth <laughs> backing him up. It's also hard to be a false prophet because uh, uh, look what happens to them. Um, you know, you get Koaliah and Zed or Ahab, the son of Koaliah, Zedekiah, the son of Massasiah, who are prophesying a lie to you in my name. Um, because of them, this curse shall be used by all the exiles of Judah and Babylon. The Lord make you like Zedekiah and Ahab, whom the king of Babylon roasted in the fire. Like, they're prophesying falsely, um, probably prophesying to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar, and they get toasted. Um, meanwhile, we know true prophets of God, or true men of God, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, God protects them from the fire. So, uh, yeah, you know, in the circumstances, it might hard be, seem hard to be the true prophet of God. It might seem lonely. It might seem isolating. You, you get bad consequences. 
but it's better to be on the Lord's side <laughs> than on man's side. And I think that's the lesson that really comes out at the end of chapter 29, um, is not woe to Jeremiah, the true prophet of God, but woe to these schmucks <laughs> um, who are prophesying lies in God's name. I'm the one who knows. I am witness, declares the Lord. Like, you know, they think they can say anything and get away with it. And, and sorry, they're toast. <laughs> that was a bad joke. Um, you know, they get thrown in the fire. Um, Shemamiah, uh, because Shemamiah had prophesied to you when I did not send him and has made you trust in a lie, therefore, thus says the Lord, behold, I will punish Shemaiah of Neolim and his descendants. He shall not have anyone living among the people, and he shall not see the good that I will do to my people, declares the Lord, for he has spoken rebellion against the Lord. So these people who prophesy in God's name, but are really prophesying rebellion, they're, you know, prophesying the opposite of what God has said, um, the repeated pattern of these chapters of scripture that we've just read is they're the ones that the worst things are going to happen to. Like They're not going to experience the blessings that God has promised. Yeah, Jeremiah might get thrown in the stocks. He doesn't here, which is really interesting. <laughs> uh, in, instead, uh, uh, you know, Zephaniah the priest read this letter in the hearing of Jeremiah the prophet. And, hey, Jeremiah, I got a piece of mail. You want to take a look at it? <laughs> and, you know, it, nothing happens to Jeremiah, but curses fall on these false prophets um, who are spreading this lie in Babylon. Um, and they're not going to see the blessing. Uh, they're not going to experience the blessing that God is going to uh, work in this people and bringing them from exile. Um, so, so yeah, like Jeremiah, uh, again, he, he, he suffers. And I don't want to diminish his, his suffering. But as we saw back in chapter 1, um, as God promises, um, you know, Behold, I make you this day a fortified city, an iron pillar, and bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, its officials, its priests, and the people of the land. They will fight against you, but they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, declares the Lord, to deliver you. So it's better to be um, in that situation of being attacked, but being on the Lord's side, than taking up opposition to the Lord. Um, one leads to life, the other leads to death. All right, with that, uh, let me close our time in a word of prayer. Lord God, uh, we too uh, know what it's like um, to be called um, fools uh, for what we believe, um, but we know uh, that you have made uh, the things uh, that are foolish um, in the eyes of this world uh, that those things are, are true um, and that you take the wise and expose them as fools. Um, Lord God, uh, help us to trust uh, in you uh, regardless of our circumstances, regardless of the um, uh, spite uh, and mistreatment of the world, that uh, we fear the one uh, who holds uh, body and soul uh, more than the one who can just harm the body. So help us to trust uh, in our Savior uh, and in his promises, uh, how he has um, uh, not just promised to do us good, but has, has demonstrated uh, the truth of that promise by him uh, accomplishing it, uh, by uh, giving his life on that cross and being raised from the dead. Uh, as we celebrated even last Sunday especially, um, that uh, our Savior has conquered the grave and uh, we are in that time waiting for the fulfillment of all things. Uh, help us to trust uh, in you, to exercise faith in you amidst um, difficult circumstances of life. Help us hold fast to the promises of God uh, and trusting in the truth of those promises even as we see how your um, promises to bless and to curse have come to, uh, come uh, true in the past. 
Uh, even now, Lord, uh, give us humble hearts, but give us joyful hearts as we rejoice in the greatness of our God, uh, the greatness of salvation that's to be found in, in him alone. Uh, help us to uh, rejoice with one another in praise of our Lord and God and King, uh, Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.